Well, in preparing for today, I uh, went through various old files and discovered that the main time that I had spoken on 1 John chapter 4 was at weddings. Um, it was a period of time when pretty much every couple that I was preaching at their wedding asked for something uh, on 1 John chapter 4. And to be fair, it's not a bad choice. I remember sort of posing the question, you know, how can couples love each other when the joy of the wedding day is over? And they need an experience of God's love. Actually, it's being known and loved by God that enables us to love one another. And and I was looking back and noticed that frequently I used a kind of pass the parcel illustration. You know, we receive God's love and we pass it on. It's a bit like, you know, the children's game. You know, you receive the parcel and you pass it on. Until a friend told me, Andy, that's a really, really rubbish illustration. (laughs) Because, of course, in past the parcel, you pass the parcel on and you're left empty-handed. Which, to be honest, isn't a great illustration of God's love, really, because, you know, you kind of want to still have a sense of God's love. And they also pointed on to me, of course, the goal of past the parcel is not to pass it on. You know, the goal of past the parcel is that you're still holding on to it when the music stops. So he said, you really do need to come up with a better illustration, which was fair. And so... The image I sometimes use, and it's not perfect, and in the second half of the talk I'll tell you why it's not perfect, but maybe you want to imagine being the kind of midpoint of a stream or a river, where in a sense you've got constantly the sort of water flowing down towards you. You know, the image of God's love for us, his love revealed at the cross, the overflowing fountain of the God who is love flowing out towards us, the love that's within us as the Father loves the Son. That stream of water flowing towards us that then flows out towards others. That's the image, it seems to me, of what's going on as we think about the love of God. The love of God isn't intended to stop with us. It's intended then to flow out towards others. And so if in the first session we thought about the flow of overflowing fountain of water coming towards us, we're going to think in that next session about what's supposed to happen to that. And so here's the first thing. God's love in us flows to others. God's love in us flows to others. So let's go back to to 1 John chapter 4. And this morning we majored on verse 10. Let's consider some of the surrounding verses. Let's look at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Or verse 11. Dear friends, Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now, we need to understand quite what the logic is of verse 12, second half. If we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. Now it can sound as though if you love one another, then God lives in us. And if that were the case, it would be the opposite of so much of what we thought about this morning, where God's love is the thing that takes the initiative. It isn't saying that. 
It, it isn't saying if you reach a level of love for one another, God will come to live within you. Rather, it's saying this. The evidence that God lives within you will be a life of love. Yeah, it, it's saying this. If we love one another, it will show that God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. That our love for one another is the evidence that what we saw this morning is true. That God lives within us. Or or you can see it if you flick back in 1 John. You you can see in 1 John chapter 2 verses 9 to 11. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Do you you see? There are people in the darkness and in the light. And the evidence that somebody really is in the light, living in the light with God, the evidence that they're there is that they love their brother or sister. Or you see something similar in chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. What's the evidence that God really has done this great work in our lives as we trust in Jesus? What's the evidence of that? The evidence is that we love one another. We, We sense a love towards other Christians, and that's the evidence that God really has done something in our life. Now, if you think about it, that does make sense of what we thought about this morning. Let's change metaphors. Let's move from a stream metaphor to a house metaphor. So that the house I live in, I live in a flat next door to the church at Woodstock Road. There are various aspects to that flat. It's untidy. It is entirely functional. There is nothing of any aesthetic quality in that flat whatsoever. You know, you look for beautiful pictures, nothing like that there. There are quite a lot of theology books, quite a lot of history books, and quite a lot of books about sport. In other words, you go into that flat and you think, Andy lives here. No aesthetic quality whatsoever, a complete mess, but hey, lots of theology and sport books. The house reflects me. Now, if it really is the case that the God who is love has come to live within our hearts, that is going to become evident, isn't it? It must do. God, who is love, lives in us and us in him. And so do you see why John says the evidence that that is the case will be seen in your love? Because if the God who is love is set up home within your hearts, that must become evident. That must become visible. As the sign that we're truly in the light will be love for the Christians. The sign that we've passed from death to life will be our love for each other. If we live, love one another, chapter 4, verse 12, it is evidence that God lives in us. Because what we know is God has a deep love for his people. And so if it's come to live within us, then we will have a deep love for his people. I mean, at one level, that will be a love for all people. But, but in a specific sense, it will be a love for other Christians. Now, it seems to me that that is both challenging and encouraging you know it should challenge us 
you know, it should challenge us if we're just sort of content to kind of stand around the edge of church and be slightly aloof from other Christians and not really get involved in their lives. Verses like that should be something of a challenge to us. Now, forgive me, I'm aware stuff like that can sort of lead to people with sensitive consciences getting sort of very anxious. You know, I want sort of a slightly dark thought towards somebody else who's a Christian. Does that mean I'm not saved? It doesn't mean that. Actually, partly because one of the other signs of one John of being a Christian is confessing our sin. And so this isn't a sort of you must love all Christians perfectly. It isn't that. But it is to say... But I think from one join you can say we will grow in confidence as Christians as we love one another. That, that actually if you want to grow in confidence in your relationship with God, one of the best ways to go about that is to love each other. Because we know that we pass from death to life because we love one another. There's a good friend of mine who... Um, you know, every so often he'll ask me this question, Andy, do you think I'm a Christian? Uh, and to be honest, being a really helpful pastor, my normal response is, well, what do you think? Because I'm just really helpful like that. And he'll often say, well, I just don't really know. And often when I've sort of, he's had that conversation with me, I've kind of said, well, Taylor, let's go back to what you make of Jesus and so on. And I think that's right. Because actually, again, we know that one of the signs or the ultimate sign of being a Christian is that we believe Jesus to be the Son of God. But as I was working through 1 John, one one of the things that dawned on me that I should probably say to him is, well, mate, actually, the way you could grow as a Christian is stop being slightly half-hearted towards church. You could grow in confidence by actually going to church more than once a month. You could grow in confidence that you really belong to God by getting involved in other Christians' lives rather than standing on the edge. Do you you see? That is the logical impact of one John, actually. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love other Christians. But actually, one of the ways we grow in our confidence in the Lord is by doing that. Again, if you've got one John open in front of you, Again, this is how we know we belong to the truth. Sorry, chapter 3, verse 19. And how we set our hearts at rest in our presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from anything we ask. Why? Because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. In other words, we grow in confidence as we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, verse 23. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. might be for some of us, just possibly off the back of the last two or three years, that maybe our spiritual lives have just felt a bit lethargic. And we're conscious of sort of a sense of distance from the Lord, even if we are actually as close to the Lord as we could be. It doesn't always feel like that. Get loving other Christians again. It's actually the way to grow in confidence. And let me encourage you, if that's the challenge of that, of course the encouragement of it is this. That as we live, as we love other Christians, we're doing what is actually natural to us. 
Because God has come to live within us. And so there is, by the power of the Spirit, actually an instinctive sense of that is the direction in which life naturally goes. So in a sense, in loving other Christians, I'm not doing something alien to me. I'm not doing something different to the way I've been designed. I'm actually just sort of in the sweep of what God is doing in my life. And I don't even have to generate all the energy for that myself. Because the God who is love lives within me. He set up home in my heart. And so actually there will be a natural sense in which loving other Christians just feels right. It feels appropriate. One of my hopes, one, one of my hopes is that as we think about this God who is love living within our hearts, it, it should end the sort of discouragement and the defeatism we so often feel. Do you ever feel that? You know, I, I can never change. I, I can never love that other person. I, I can never really fit into the church and be part of it. Well, if it was just you, that might be the case. But it's never just you. Never ever just you anymore. Because the God who is love has come to live within us. And so actually we don't need to feel defeated. We don't need to feel discouraged. Actually the truth that the love of God has come to live within our hearts means both I ought to love others and it means I can love others. It is possible. Because of the power of God within us. Sometimes we have a sense of that, don't we? I have to be honest, I'm an off-the-scale introvert, which basically means I find my own company endlessly fascinating. But um, <laughs> it, it probably means I, I, don't, I don't relish getting to know new people. Um, yeah, there's a kind of slightly sort of wanting to hide in a corner and crawl up and so on. But, but what I have noticed is there is something different when I'm meeting new Christians. Because actually the spirit within me begins to spot the spirit in them. And even though by personality I want to draw back, there's something within me that draws me towards other people. Yeah, maybe you have that sense. There's something in me that draws me towards other Christians. And that's not you being nice, that's just actually the Spirit of God in you. Recognize the Spirit of God in each other. So the fact that God lives within us both challenges us, there really should be evidence of that in our lives. And it encourages us. It is possible to live like this because we're living in the sweep of the, what God has done for us. So why don't you um, turn again, perhaps in twos and threes, just for three or four minutes. How does this help us with the weariness and defeatism we can feel? You know, maybe you think, gosh, I can't really be of benefit to other people. How does this idea that the God who is love lives within us, how does that help us? Three or four minutes just to... Sorry, if you're in intro, you'll probably hate this. But anyway, three or four minutes just to talk to each other. Um, and, uh, and then you can relax and I will talk to you. Go for it. Okay, let me, uh, let me uh, stop you uh, interacting with each other. Um, let me pull you back together. It is great you want to talk to each other. That does encourage me, actually. So um, there wasn't silence. That, that makes me happy. Introverts can now relax. Um, um, let me move on. Um, because 
what you see as you work your way through one John, do you remember how we we saw that we we love our, our love for one another both reflects God living within us, and then the second way we saw God's love for us this morning is we saw it at the cross, and we're going to see that as the model for us. Because let me now repent of my image of the stream. Because I guess if you just use this image of a stream, which has benefits in terms of God's great love flows towards us and flows out from us, that's true. But let's be honest, the stream is fairly passive. You know, the stream doesn't make any decisions. Shall I let this water pass through me? As far as I'm aware, that doesn't really happen in a stream. And as you look at 1 John, this isn't automatic. There are choices, daily choices, that we need to make. And the choices that we need to make are why John commands us to love. So all the way through, chapter 3, verse 11, we should love one another. Chapter 3, verse 16, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Or again, it's a command, chapter 3, verse 23. This is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. Chapter 4, verse 7, let us love one another. Verse 11, we also ought to love one another. And it's there in chapter 4, uh, verse 21 as well. He's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So in a sense, the fact that we have all the overflowing fountain of God's love means it is possible. There's the energy, the power, the ability there to love one another. But nevertheless, the fact that John commands it six or seven times means in a sense there is a decision for us to make. We are going to have to make that decision to love. Now what does that actually look like in practice? Well, secondly, we're going to see the love Revealed at the cross. We're called to love like Jesus. This is how we know what love is. Chapter 3, verse 16. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And what we're going to see is this is fairly concrete. You know, Jesus goes to the cross. It isn't simply that Jesus had nice, warm feelings towards us. Let's be honest, there is in our culture quite a lot of vague talk about love. My pet hate is that phrase, love is love, as though it actually means anything. You know, and I think if it does mean anything, it's a kind of sort of vaguely, I have a warm feeling towards you. Actually, that won't be adequate for us because, hey, what happens when the warm feeling slightly dampens? Or can I say love isn't that vague thing that ignores the truth? As though we're kind of, well, let's not worry about the truth so much. Let's just love each other. Actually, one John really won't go for that. To be honest, if you'd asked me to come and do a morning on truth, I could easily have done that from one John as well. Where we're to be discerning and test the spirits and so on in one John chapter four. So this love isn't this vague thought. It isn't just a warm feeling. It isn't a love that doesn't care about the truth. No, it is the love that is hard and real and seen at the cross. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. In other words, we're to be shaped by the attitude and the actions that took Jesus to the cross. And that will mean different elements. 
it will mean that love is about death. Paul Miller, actually, the, uh, the American writer, just found this so helpful. He says, death is at the center of love. Because let's be honest, often as you go through life, you are faced with choices. And the choice will often be between what is easy and what is comfortable for me and what is best for that other person. And the call in that situation is, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to lay down what is comfortable, what is easy, what is convenient for me. I lay that down for the sake of the other person. Because that's what Jesus does. If you imagine for a moment Jesus in heaven, worshipped by the angels, enjoying the closest intimate relationship with his father, plenty of reasons it would have been comfortable for him to stay there. And he lays it down. He lays down the glory and the comfort of heaven for the poverty of Bethlehem and for the cross of Jerusalem. He lays down his life. And John says that is what we're called to do. We're called to embrace a death to comfort, a death to our own preferences, a death to our own ease, a giving up of stuff, laying it down for the sake of others. I don't know, maybe it's dying to the nice evening that I had planned in order to spend time with somebody going through a tough time. Dying to my preference as to how something should be done in order to do it the way the other person wants it to be done. Just laying that down. Dying to the way I want it done. Dying to my plans. Dying to my ease. Dying to my comfort. For the sake of others. Sometimes it will be time. Yes, sometimes it will be money. But often I think time is the most precious thing we have. I lay it down. I lay it down for the sake of others. Death is at the heart of love. Well, there's a phrase um, Julian Hardiman's pastor in Cambridge uses on the subject of love that I've found hugely helpful. And again, it, it fits it with this image of the cross being the model of love. He puts it like this. Love often involves walking towards the pain. Love often involves walking towards the pain. That, of course, is what Jesus does. Out of love for us, he walks towards the pain of the cross. I often find it on Sunday mornings, actually. You know, service is over and I'm standing there trying to work out who to talk to. And I actually see two possible conversations right in front of me. Easy conversation over there. Somebody I get on well with, somebody whose life is going fine. We will have a lovely conversation about the football yesterday. They're going through a really tough time. And I know if I'm going to talk to them, they're going to tell me about their tough time, and I'm going to share some of their pain as I listen. Which conversation am I going to have? I love to say, even as a pastor, I always go there. Temptation is very often to go there. And love involves walking towards the pain. Just laying down my right to a nice, easy time. Because I'm committed to that other person. I'm committed to sharing in their their pain and their hurt. Because I'm laying down an easy time. Because I'm following Jesus who goes towards the agony of the cross. Or, Or to put it another way. As you think about this cross where 
of course, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Yeah, let's be honest, God gives far more than he receives from us. And sometimes actually love will mean being content to do that. You know, sometimes you feel miffed, don't you? You know, I've put so much into this relationship and I get so little back. Well, yeah. But isn't that the cross? Actually, it's not always mutual. Sometimes we give more than we receive. Sometimes we keep loving people who aren't responding to our love in the way that we'd hoped. But let's be honest, isn't that so often us and God? As this cross-shaped love will keep going towards others. Giving towards those who may not seem as though they deserve it. Actually, love will involve doing good to those even who sinned against us. Because the model is the cross. And that's what we're called to. Death is at the heart of love, walking towards the pain. Now, will you forgive me? I I think as I was working this, what just struck me was, boy, is this a high calling. The challenge for me is this. I think that if I'm vaguely nice to my friends, vaguely respectable to people in the church, and don't have a stand-up row with anybody, then I'm fulfilling my obligations for Christian love. Hey, I'm loving. I'm nice to people. Not had a fight with anybody recently, and I care about my friends. Hey, I've fulfilled Christian love. That's what I'm tempted to think. But this feels a bit higher than that, doesn't it? This death, laying down your life for others. I think a danger for us is that, frankly, at times we can be too self-protective. Too committed to our own comfort. Too committed even to our own privacy. Too willing to stand apart, to stand aloof. Too unwilling to engage in sacrificial love. And that's the calling. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And the calling, and maybe if we have forgotten this over the last couple of years, again, the call is to go towards people rather than away from them, to go towards people in their need because love is about death. Now, this is why we needed the first session because you might be thinking, how do I sustain that? How do I sustain this walking towards pain? How do I sustain this dying and laying down my life? The only way you can sustain it is if day by day there's, gosh, he still loves me. The love with which he loves the son, such is his love for me, and it's in me. And if it's in me, actually I can keep giving of myself in laying down my life for others. And then finally, verse 17 of chapter 3. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Now, just notice, if you will, the family language. Do you notice, lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, who has material needs and sees a brother or sister in need. Now, one of the assumptions about our love for one another is the sense that we're part of the same family together. 
So you think about it, if we're made children of God, if God has lavished his love upon us such that we're his children, that makes sense. We're going to be brothers and sisters together, aren't we? We're part of family. Now my guess is with our nuclear physical families, part of being in a nuclear physical family is caring for each other's needs. I suspect most of those who are parents tend to feed their children. It's just natural. That's just what families do. And John is saying, well, you're part of two families. Actually, if you're a Christian, you're part of two families. You are part of a physical family and you're part of a church family. And if I'm allowed to be controversial, I don't think the Bible ever prioritizes one over the other, actually. We're just part of both families. Just what it is to be a Christian. Two families now. And that means, actually, we belong to each other, we care for one another, and that will include things like practical things. My uh, colleague at Living Out, Ed Shaw, tells a story. He was uh, his pastor down in Bristol, and he was preaching on this theme of the church being a, a, a family. Just around the same time as he was had to leave his rental accommodation, the landlord was selling a flat. And so he was at that point where he needed somewhere to live, having just preached on family. And a member of the church came up to him and said, look, we'd really like to give you quite a lot of money towards the deposit for your mortgage. And Ed's response was, that's far too much money. I can't accept that. To which this person asked, well, would you accept it from your parents? To which he said, well, yes, but they're not offering. Well, you are a hypocrite then, aren't you? Yeah, you'll accept it from your physical family. You won't accept it from your church family. You've just told us they're both family. Ed makes the comment rarely before as he preached a sermon that earned him several thousand pounds. But <laughs> now, forgive me. I, you know, of course, we're not all in the position to be able to do stuff like that. But it is in the right ballpark, isn't it? Actually, that sense of we're family. Families naturally care for one another. And so maybe, I don't know you all, but it might be that one of the implications of this morning is actually consciously to think around the church family, what are the needs that I can help with? For some of us, the main thing we have might be financial. And actually we can just begin to think, okay, who might I be able to help in that way? For others of us, it is sort of the, off, op, the you know, it's hospitality. And actually, we think around the church and we think, who in the family is more on their own? Yeah, who would welcome, in a sense, being invited in? Whatever it is we have to offer, just to begin to think, what are the needs out there? And if sometimes that's uncomfortable for us, that is part of laying down our life. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. He really does love us. He really does love us. And gloriously, wonderfully secure in that. Absolutely secure in that. We have the power and the privilege to love one another well. By this, Jesus says, will everyone know that you're my disciples if you love one another? There is 
huge possibility within this room. Huge possibility to form a a community, or, or I suspect it's already largely true, but increasingly to be a community that people think, gosh, there's something different here. And for that to happen, we will need to stand under the fountain of God's love such that we have the energy to give of ourselves, the love with which he loves the Son, such is his love for us. But then we'll need to make the decision. I want to be a stream. I want to receive that love and I want it to flow out to others. And as we do that, well, that's the great community to be part of. We're going to discuss stuff and I think the suggestion is, at this point, you might probably be bored of the people you're talking to. So why don't we turn into slightly bigger groups, maybe involve moving chairs around a bit into, I don't know, six or sevens, that kind of size. Um, I think I've got one more question. What practically might this look like? Um, so what, what practically might this look like? I've thrown some ideas out in terms of how we might love one another. But in a sense, you'll know your situations better So maybe you can think of other practical ways in which we can show this family love for one another. So feel free to turn into groups and then Neil will, I was going to say finish us off, that sounds awful, but Neil will come and say something. So turn into groups of six or seven and talk together. If I can draw you back together again. We, um, I don't know about your group, but we had a very uh, fruitful uh, discussion in ours. Um, there's not enough time now to feed some of that back, but um, there will be a session at the end of the day, at the end of the afternoon, where we can do precisely that. We can share some of the encouragements um, from the day. We can um, share how God has maybe touched our hearts and given us insights that are, will be of benefit to others. So we'll do that later on. We'll have a time of prayer later on as well. Um, but we're going to finish this session. I'm just going to pray. I'll hand over to the group for the last uh, song. And then I'll get uh, Colin and Helen just to come up and give a couple of notices about what's going to happen this afternoon. So let me pray. Um, and then we'll finish with the song. Father God, we thank you again for your wonderful, overflowing love for us. Uh, I think of that image of a, of a stream and just so much love pouring down on us. And we want to be those who receive that love, um, enjoy that love, but also are those who demonstrate that love to others, reflect that love to others, whatever image you want to use, Lord. We want to be those from whom love pours out. Um, And so help us not to be those who avoid the, the pain, the sacrifice, for those who walk towards the pain. Help us to be those who are committed not just to our nuclear families, but to our church family. Those who are looking out for those in need. We thank you for all the gifts that you have given us as a church family that we together can share for the benefit of those in need. Lord, we thank you for the privilege it is to, to love others as you have loved us. So fill us with your love daily, that we may have a greater capacity to love others as we do it in your strength and for your glory. Amen.